Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode, we're going to talk about people pleasing, a habit I know both Jenna and I carried with us from childhood well into our adulthoods. While people pleasing has certainly played a role in both mine and Nicole's journey, we both arrived at that coping mechanism, which is people pleasing from very different environments. I really love, Jenna, that you're calling people pleasing a coping mechanism because that's what it is. This episode was inspired after this week. So for those of you who follow on Instagram, The Holistic Psychologist, you probably saw a series on nervous system responses or trauma responses, one of which is called the fawn response. And it's actually a protective mode that we shift into based on our earliest environments. When they were unsafe, when they were unpredictable, many of us benefited when we became hypervigilant or when we became so attuned to what was happening around us that it actually had a protective function for us to keep us safe in some way. Right. So as children, if you're in an environment that is unsafe or unpredictable, you begin to dismiss your own needs and really start to hyper focus on the needs of those around you or to become hyper vigilant. I know for me personally, in my childhood, this was very much the case. For a large part of childhood, environments were unsafe. They were very unpredictable. And I became very, very hyper aware of movements, of noises, of someone else's needs, of someone else's temperament, kind of walking on eggshells around what I could say or what I could do to please someone else or to meet someone else's needs out of fear of, you know, an eruption or an explosion. So I began to learn dismissing my own needs. I didn't realize, of course, as a child that that's what I was doing. However, by ignoring my own needs or what as a child I needed and focusing on my parent figure or my siblings or anyone around me, I was able then to create an environment of safety by attempting to control the situations and people around me. So that is a subconscious adaptive coping mechanism that I began learning as a child to create an environment of safety when there was an unsafe environment around me. So to simplify the way Jenna's describing it, right? if little Jenna became so attuned to everyone else at times, I'm sure you're probably very successful at avoiding that eruption, at avoiding being right at that point of impact. If you avoid the problem entirely, there is no problem. And I, for many of us, that is the pathway into this people pleasing. When scary things did happen, when maybe we were a victim of some abuse or some behavior that was hurtful to us. My story is a little different um, because unlike Jenna, I didn't have moments where I felt acutely fearful for myself. However, what I experienced in my family growing up was a lot of stress particularly around health-related concerns. Um, When I was born, those of you who are familiar with my background know that I have a sister who's 15 years older than me. So she was 15 years old when I was born, and she herself had had chronic health issues from her early childhood that were still very much active in her life. And I had a mother who as well had chronic pain issues. So there was a lot of stress in the home, particularly around health-related concerns. So while I developed people-pleasing, very similar to Jenna, becoming really attuned, always being able to feel the stress in the home, my protection, my adaptation was to keep me safe, not from violence or or physical harm, but my, my mindset, and again, all of this happened subconsciously, was if I can just not be a point of stress in my family, 
I can feel a little more safe. If I don't add essentially to the stress bucket, if I just fly under the radar, if I don't bring issues or needs to the table, I'm one less point of stress for my family to tolerate. And I share this and I share my journey a lot because again, different point of origin. There wasn't yelling and screaming. There wasn't violence in my home. However, I still use that same adaptation, again, for the similar reason, to keep me safe. Because when the stress felt a little more manageable, I felt a little safer as a little child. And it makes so much sense, right, that we want to live in harmony. That's our true nature as human beings. So we noticed in a lot of comments and feedback from those posts, as Nicole mentioned, that so many people, most of you listening on your journeys and in life, experience people-pleasing in one way or another. So hopefully with these two examples, as Nicole and I are sharing, they come from kind of contrasting places, right? And both end up in the same adaptive coping mechanism. They both end up in this need to want to meet the needs of others around us, to live harmoniously, even if it means dismissing our own selves, betraying our own authentic needs. Yeah. And I think that the important takeaway here that we're shifting into is these habits don't end in childhood. So while Jenna and I just described what our childhood looked like, um, on my own journey, I kept that patterning, that hypervigilance, that always running everything through everyone else's need points in my life before my own well into adulthood, even outside of my own awareness. And what do I mean when I say that? I share a story that some of you might have heard me share before, and I share it because it's, it's so... Um, it's so emblematic. It really describes me not even being aware that I was doing this. And this story happened. I was somewhere in my mid-20s where my people-pleasing was at a high, um, as was resentment, because one of the byproducts of, of showing up for someone else for a very long period of time is you get really upset. And what my resentment felt like for me is this continued belief that, you know, I wasn't factoring into my relationships. I couldn't put words on it or really know how and why it was happening. I just never really felt apart or tended to. And the pivotal moment was when, as I often did, I was talking to a friend, um, rehashing all the things that I was stressed out about. And this particular moment, my stressors were around obligations. So this word obligation came up a lot for me as a byproduct of this idea of people pleasing. I had a lot of obligations or so I believed placed on myself. And this one particular moment was going on and on to a friend about the obligation my my wife at the time had wanted of me and my family at the time had wanted of me or so I believed and my friends at the time had wanted of me. Essentially, I was looking for help and figuring out what I was to do with whatever was coming, whatever event was to come. And long story short, my friend very calmly heard me talking on and on about everyone else and what they or I thought they needed. And she looked at me very calmly and said, okay, Nicole, well, what do you want to do this upcoming Thursday or whatever date I was talking about having conflict around? And I have never been so dumbfounded. I had no idea. I couldn't even come up with an answer. And at that point, I began to question, why don't I know what I want to do? Why can't I figure out how my time would feel best spent? And at that point, I really began to explore in myself What is this patterning? What is this? And then I gave a name for it, this people pleasing. Why am I so used to? Why was I able to, for instance, sit there and go on and on for probably about a half hour's time knowing or what everyone else wanted or needed and not knowing what I needed? Um, And again, so this is how I carried my people pleasing with me. I became that person who always was filtering the world through someone else, what they what I thought they needed. And I just overstepped me on that equation. 
What resonates so much in what I hear you saying, and I know we hear members in the self-healer circle sharing this all the time, is that not knowing. So when you are asked, you know, what do you need? What do you want? And it's you're completely blank. It's almost as if your mind just goes black and there's nothing there. And this comes up a lot, especially in the self-healer circle um, in a lot of our tools and teaching and content. We talk about reflection or we talk about, you know, really witnessing yourself, interviewing yourself. And for a lot of people, the first response is, I don't hear anything. You know, I sit in quiet and I try and ask myself what I need and there's no voice. There's no words that come. There's nothing that's there. And it really is such a, it's so great to highlight that because it is an awareness and such a practice to begin even being able to be in a space to ask yourself, well, what do I need? Even Asking yourself that question and having no answers come is already a profound marker on your journey as you're already beginning to just sit and realize, okay, I don't hear anything. I've probably and likely dismissed myself for so long. And imagine if I'm 34 now and I've spent 34 years not asking myself what I need or what I want or tuning into me. Well, then how could I have a perfect answer for the first time asking myself something that I've spent 34 years ignoring. So again, too, if you're hearing that and you're resonating or thinking, oh my gosh, me too, also know that this takes time and it does take practice. So even that first awareness that Nicole's describing in her 20s of being asked that question and sort of being mind blown of, oh my gosh, I have no idea, was a really great awareness and moment in time for you, Nicole, to then realize, oh, I don't actually know. And from that knowing, you have a place to begin. And it's so, so important to to offer yourself that compassion in that moment, because I know as we age, we start to create all of these beliefs that, oh, I'm in my 30s. I should know definitely by my 40s. Oh, my gosh, if I don't know what I want by my 50s, right, just quit now. And that's just simply not true. So to speak to your very eloquent point, Jenna, how would you know if you've been like us in a, in a different or whatever degree, right, always outsourcing, always putting someone else's needs first, always anticipating that's your autopilot. That's now what you've become used to. And so as we always say, especially in the self-healer circle or virtual membership, change comes with two steps. Really simple. The first step is becoming conscious. For many of you listening, um, watching right now, this might be the episode where you begin to see yourself in this patterning. You begin to see these aspects of people pleasing in your own life. We can't create change, that second step that begins again with new choices, until we become conscious. So for many of us, it's seeing this patterning. Even if we're not sure, maybe at that point of origin, what happened early on, we can see us now. We can see ourselves not hitting that pause button, not checking in with what do I need before I pick up this phone call? That might be that moment of consciousness. And again, when we build that foundation of seeing this old pattern compassionately, and again, why we offer content describing this fawn response, this nervous system response, is to offer that compassion. Because I know a lot of you listening probably feel shameful if you've seen this history or as you become conscious of your tendency to people, please, you might feel bad about yourself in some way. So here's where we can become compassionately conscious and understand that this came from a time and a place where it was needed. This adaptation was helpful. Now, of course, you can create the space to make new choices, but it really begins with that consciousness. And many of us just seeing this patterning in our adult life creates that space for a new option in the future. It really does change the environment and the energy of your journey as well when you kind of shift to 
having that gratitude for it. I know even when we talk about ego, we say, you know, ego is not your enemy. It's actually, it's there to keep you safe. It's there to serve you. Well, this people pleasing, this adaptive coping mechanism that you learned throughout childhood is also there to keep you safe, as we've mentioned. So, you know, instead of the upset or being angry or wishing this thing wasn't there, a space of gratitude and a space of compassion. I know for me, for little Jenna, that subconscious kicking in, creating that coping mechanism to keep me safe is something I am very grateful for because it allowed me to navigate situations. And the beauty of that as an adult is now having the power of choice and having the power of conscious choice where I've gotten to a space where I've committed to doing the work long enough and being able to be really compassionate and raw with myself and see where a lot of these things come from, to see all of the places that I do people please. Another big one for me is my people pleasing in adulthood has very much showed up as a dismissing my own sort of thoughts and beliefs. So any power above me, any authority around me, anyone that I think is wiser or greater, especially someone who has this conditioned, you know, I'm not good enough. So having that narrative that I'm not good enough coupled with this people pleasing, with this coping mechanism for me shows up as an immediate outsourcing of my power. I'll shift into anyone else's beliefs or perspectives or thoughts, assuming that they are the authority. Because if I sort of bow down and dismiss my own and don't stand in my own ground, what I'm doing, it's little Jenna in me truly hoping to just make the other person happy, to kind of be dismissive of my own self, to allow them to sort of prevail or to be the authority figure, because to me that feels safer. And over time, as an adult, I've watched in so many situations where then that has instilled the resentment, as Nicole mentioned earlier. And if I've really begun to pay attention, it's not resentment of the other person or of this authority figure that I'm now dismissing my own needs to. It's resentment of myself for not following my gut. So as we mentioned in the beginning of this episode, you know, Nicole and I both arrived at this people-pleasing coping mechanism from very different backgrounds or different childhoods. And you listening may see some of yourself in either of our stories or maybe have a story that is totally unique to you. So for me and for someone who has always followed their heart or always really looked inward or been curious about who am I, I have noticed and been aware for a while that that resentment that Nicole spoke of was actually resentment towards myself. I wasn't resentful of the other person that I was sort of giving more authority over me. I was actually resentful of big Jenna and of little Jenna for not trusting myself, for not listening to my own voice and instead defaulting to someone else's perspective. And the first time I can actually remember this is when I was 12. I remember I was in sixth grade and we were having a spelling bee in our class. And I was at the very end of the spelling bee with me and one other person. And the word was generation. And I, my brain went completely black. I was so stressed out. I really wanted to win. I knew how to spell that word. And in that moment of stress, I then began to question myself. I immediately went into the same, someone else of course would know better than I would. And the person next to me sitting at the desk was using their finger to spell out the word generation on the desk. And they spelled it They spelled it G-E-N-O, and they kept circling this O instead of having that second E. And I questioned it, and I kept thinking, Jenna, listen to your gut. Even at 12, I knew, but instead thought, no, they must know better than me. Everyone else is smarter than me. Of course they're right. I must be wrong. So I spelt it using this O, and of course the word was wrong because it is an E. 
And I still, to this day, can have that visceral feeling of being so upset and angry at myself, so resentful of myself for not trusting me, for having that gut feeling, having that internal guidance, which for me, I've, I've cultivated a connection with more and more over time. And it's also been something that has truly guided me ever since childhood. And in a moment where I saw myself actively ignore that voice or ignore that trust in myself and default to someone else's, that resentment kicked in at full speed. So I use that example, too, because in that moment, the other person I wasn't necessarily people pleasing to. They didn't know I was trying to make them happy by defaulting to them giving me the incorrect word. It was a response that I had to just outsource, to adapt to someone else's perspective or their belief or their values, in this case, how they would spell the word instead of trusting my own. So it also doesn't always connect to a reaction or a response from the other person. They might not necessarily know that you're fawning or people pleasing over them. It was more so for me showed up as a rejection of myself, a rejection of my own voice and self-trust. What an incredibly important example to share, Jenna. So thank you. Um, and I really do want to highlight that sometimes, right, it's all of these scenarios are, are living within our head, within our own subconscious. And the people around us might not yet even be aware. So as we become conscious, as we identify this tendency to put others' needs first, to feel like we're not good enough, to outsource our ideas to someone else because they clearly should know better. For me, to show up in service for someone else, to decrease the amount of stress or burden, to keep my obligations, becoming conscious of that is the first step that leads us into another incredibly difficult step, which is to begin to make those new choices, right? Because just like Jenna, I carried a lot of resentment. I would feel angry, upset with all everyone else around me and what I envisioned were their obligations that they had placed on me, not realizing that I was placing these obligations on myself. So I began to explore when that was happening. So several years after this conversation that I shared with you earlier, when I realized I wasn't taking into consideration myself, my own needs, what I tended to see is I loved to make plans well in advance. Out for drinks on a Tuesday. Yes, yeah, sure. Great. This sounds awesome. I'll totally like to do that on Saturday. I was the queen of planning out my time. And every time I committed to a plan and what sounds like a good time on Tuesday might not sound like that same good time on Saturday. I realized that the moment I had made that commitment, I had made an obligation in my own mind, regardless of if the person that I was committing to thought that it was a plan set in stone or not. In my head, it was. And then, of course, as Saturday approached, it would be looming in my distance. I would not be wanting to go, I would notice, and I would be upset with the other person. How dare they think I'm going to go do whatever it was that I committed to? Again, not realizing whether or not they were aware of my obligation. At that point, it didn't matter. And what I started to do for myself, because I came to realize by that point, I changed a lot. Things that did feel like a good idea on a Tuesday might not feel like that same good idea on a Saturday. And I needed to now work with this idea of obligation. So what I started to say to people was, maybe. It was a simple switch from committing on that Tuesday to just suggesting to that person, hey, let's check in on Saturday. Let's maybe even see how we both feel. And for me, that shift was monumental. Because for me, it was the first movement toward not feeling like I had that obligation then to fulfill on Saturday. Of course, then on Saturday, I had to show up, decide whether or not I felt like doing that thing and check in with that person. 
And by that point, chances are we were both on the same page. And or if I decided I wasn't up for whatever plan that they might still be willing to commit to, they were okay with it. So what I began to realize, again, to speak to your point, Jenna, a lot of my obligation making and committing to and then holding myself hostage to that obligation was happening in my mind. However, of course, we're a people pleaser and we want to show up differently in relationships. There are other people involved. So for me, that check-in process, if you will, or the check-in protocol that I implemented for myself was incredibly helpful. It helped me relieve myself of that obligation, gave me the space then at that future time to check in with myself. And of course, I then still had to put up the boundary, say no, or decline the invite if that wasn't in alignment. Just as hard to do, though, again, putting that check-in, that space process in for me helped me to do that. I love that. And saying maybe to someone or just opening communication and saying, hey, let's Let's check in then. We don't ever know what's going to happen, you know, in the next moment or the next day or the next week. And creating that open communication really allows you and also the other person to then take a moment to pause to check in with yourself. Because when we're sort of reacting to plans or we're reacting to someone else versus responding or going into that people pleasing, like, yes, of course I'll be there because I think that's going to make the other person happy. Something that's been helpful for me personally, and I've spoken about this before, called them my blinders is what I refer to them as. And when we're speaking here about, you know, checking in with ourselves to see if we really want to make those plans or really do that thing, you have to first have that connection with yourself, right? You first need to create the space to even ask yourself that question. And until we're building that connection with us, you you may not know. Your default may always be the other person's wants and desires. And this has shown up for me all throughout my life where if I listen to someone else passionately speak about something that they love or that they want to do or that they want to be when they grow up, I see myself and my wheels start turning of, oh, maybe I want to do that. Maybe I want to become an astronaut too. Maybe I want to become a chef too because I'm so enrolled in what someone else wants or someone else's needs. So when I put my blinders up, to me, it really is closing my eyes. And it's kind of like if you're bowling, you put those little bumpers on the side so the ball can't roll off the side of the alley. It goes straight down. Those blinders for me are closing off any other thought, any other perspective or belief and really tuning in to listen to my own. I know, I mean, from sun up to sundown all day long, we scroll through social media, we listen to the news, we watch sitcoms on TV of other people's voices and what other people have written. We're so saturated in all of our days with other people's thoughts and ideas and voices and perspectives that we often and very easily lose sight of our own. So really putting up those blinders and first connecting in with you as Nicole's offering by creating that space. Say maybe, say let's check in then and actually create the moments to ask yourself and follow through with the check-in. Hey, Jenna, what do you want to do today? Do you really want to go through with that? okay, no, you don't want to make those plans, have the courage to say no. It is such a journey. Um, People pleasing, to speak to the point of this entire episode, again, for most of us, is what we've known for a lifetime. It began as a protection and it continued as our familiar, as our safety. Um, As we become conscious, we can learn how to identify the spaces where we need the space. However, it comes down to the practice 
of, as all of our work does, as all of the work we put out on social media and within the circle. It's those action points. It's holding yourself accountable despite the internal world, despite what I call the feel bads, despite it being unfamiliar and new, doing it all the same. One of the biggest byproducts of of doing the work to heal the conditioning around people pleasing is to learn how to be authentically you. We're all searching for that elusive place. Who am I at my core? And for a lot of us, it first means pulling back this big layer of conditioning where we break the habit of tending to the world around us. And the first practice might be just committing to carving out that moment of time for you. Creating and strengthening that connection to our authentic selves is exactly why we've created this podcast and why each of us up here are committed to showing up as our authentic selves, and staying engaged in a conversation with each of you who are watching or listening very transparently and compassionately and rawly about our own journeys, hearing about your own journeys, and really committing to learning and strengthening who we are as individuals is then what makes up and creates the world at large. So if we want to shift and change or transform or we want to see the world in a different way, the first place to begin is always going to be with ourselves. So thank you all for joining and for viewing, listening on this episode. We look forward to diving into more tools and conversations about your journeys and ours on next week's episode.